Let's get fucking started. I've been waiting on you for 10 minutes. Just <laughs> 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 thinking Naruto. <laughs> 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 What's wrong with you? Start the show. Fuck is wrong with you? Yo, get out of here with them weak, weak ass shoes, yo. Falls deep. I'm talking about falls deep. I'm talking about falls deep in love. I'm talking about falls deep. I'm talking about falls deep. I'm talking about falls deep in love. We've been, you know. On a week's hiatus, you can say we didn't drop an episode last week, but we did promise them that we'd be talking about the MLB and being that it was, you know, going into All Star break. But now that you know we're coming off of All Star break, what did you think? Um, I mean, it's it's dope. Um, I get like, I mean, not even just specifically talking about the All Star break, but just talking about the MLB in general for right now, um, or at least in this instance. Um, there's like a new life to it and it's actually really exciting kind of to, to watch um, because like just the players, I mean, you know, their personalities, the swagger they carry, like um, they're all so different. Like, you know what I mean? Like everybody's so different in the MLB now. Everybody just the way they carry themselves, the way they go about playing the game. Everything seems fun. Like players are genuine. Like they, you know, we've seen players in the last few years like wearing the, you know, make baseball fun again T-shirts and shit like that. It's like, it genuinely feels like it is again. Um, just in general when you're watching them play the game, but then seeing them all together during the All Star break again, and you know, seeing you know Shohei Itani, you know, go up against Soto, uh, in the in the home run derby and just guys going crazy because, um. You know, they're going into, like, crazy amount of overtimes. And then Pete Alonzo hitting the walk-off to win it. And it's, like, players going sick. So it's just exciting uh, to see, like, everybody having fun again. Uh, players kind of not doing what they want, but just enjoying themselves while they're playing the game of baseball. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they, they call it America's pastime and whatever. But um, it almost seemed like there were so many unwritten rules in baseball where, like, people were just getting bothered by the smallest things. Like, you know, just let the dudes, you know, play the game that they love to play and enjoy themselves while they're doing it. And it actually feels like people are now, which is amazing. So, I mean, that's just my little take on it. Yeah, I agree 100% with everything you said. Uh, it, it definitely does have a different feel to it. And I think it's just because of the, the amount of stars that, uh, baseball has usually in past years they only have like a handful of stars amongst the elite uh in baseball but it almost seems like now we we have a like a so big of a crop of of stars that there's so, basically there's so much to go around for all of the like throughout all the fan bases throughout the MLB and a lot of them are younger guys which is contributing to almost like recruiting the younger generation to the sport. So it's definitely a different feel to it. I do think MLB is trying to make adjustments to, you know, I guess accommodate to the younger generation. And you can definitely tell they're trying, which is good because keeping it, you know, stagnant and complacent isn't going to get you anywhere. Uh, 
And I, I think they, they came to the realization, and I think it's been long overdue. They should have been trying to make these uh, adjustments and things like that. But the fact that they're, you know, actively pursuing it is is good. As for the All-Star break, I actually enjoyed it. I mean, they, they paid homage to Hank Aaron. I don't know if you noticed. All the players wore number 44 uh, for the All-Star game. And at first I was confused. I'm like, I was like, why is Shohei Itani wearing 44? And then next thing you know, someone else walked by. I'm like, why is he wearing 44? That's not his number. I think Judge was wearing 44, yeah. And I'm like, what the heck? And then the announcer was like, oh, uh, MLB is playing homage to the, you know, the late, great Hank Aaron. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Just the fact that they're paying respect to him and things like that, that was, that was awesome. And then we get to the home run derby, and I, I'm over here commentating it on Xbox to you and stuff. I'm like, oh, shit. Shohei Itani and Juan Soto going to double overtime. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, nah, I'm fucking, I'm fucking, I'm gonna call you out. He was like, I hope Shohei Itani loses because if he wins, that's all they're gonna talk about. But uh, it was amazing. Even though he did lose, it was, it was a great, you know, storyline in terms of the drama. But the home run derby never lets me down. Um, like, if you compare it to other all star break, events like the slam dunk competition it's the slam dunk competition it's either a hitter or or it's not it's a hitter or a miss whereas the home run derby i feel like it's always a hitter because uh well no puns intended but it's a <laughs> it, it's it's a it's always a hitter because it's always exciting uh and like a lot of the the thing uh, someone i forgot who said it but a lot of the dunks that happen in the slam dunk contest we've seen already it, at, at like uh, like the these um these dunkers that are on Instagram and stuff like that they do it in in these parks, and if not they're doing better dunks than are winning the dunk contest. Whereas a home run derby, no one else is hitting a home run or hitting a ball four hundred plus feet. Like yeah. it it's just amazing to watch, and then to at the highest competition too, it's it's phenomenal. No, I agree, and it's so weird because like a home run derby is way more repetitive than a dunk contest but somehow yeah. the home run derby manages to keep that like spark it manages to keep that you know like factor of just like maintaining the viewers interest somehow like i don't know what it is but it's very exciting to watch home run derbies um even though they are i mean technically more repetitive than a dunk contest but it's <laughs> it's so weird like the feeling you get from watching a home run derby it's, the, the, it's the funny thing is the funny thing is Watching the home run derby, I feel like we're all the aliens from Toy Story. <laughs> we're like, ooh, because ah. <laughs> just because they're hitting the ball further and further away, it was like, oh shit, like that. That's awesome. Uh, so, and I think I like the setup now how they have it basically as a bracket and stuff like that. And I think what helps too is the best of the best always come out and and uh, and you know contribute to that event. Whereas the dunk contest, they they have issues getting the the elite to contribute to yeah. that. Like you don't see LeBron in the dunk contest, but Shohei Tani, the leading uh, home run guy, he's the guy that's leading the leading home runs is in the dunk contest. Like it's almost similar to the three point contest. His Steph always contributes to that. Play uh, play when healthy does. Um, Duncan Robinson, a bunch of other like elite three pointer. Uh, uh, three-point specialists are in that competition. Although I think I probably enjoyed the, the home run derby slightly more. That might be biased, but 
I, I, I enjoy it. I, I really do. Um, and I, I hope they continue because I think it was almost like a breath of fresh air. The baseball needed it. I think the sports world needed it. But I don't want to get into it, but it, it, a lot was surrounding Shohei Itani, especially with the comments that Stephen A. Smith made. And, and he, you know, retracted his statement, basically saying that he personally wasn't saying it, and he apologized for it because, it, you know, he said it in a manner that came off disrespectful to just Asian Americans in general. Like, he came off the wrong way, but he was basically saying that maybe what he what he said was that because Shohei Tani needs a translator and doesn't speak English publicly, it's not good for baseball. But he was trying to say, like, maybe M- the MLB is perceiving it that way because they're not marketing him as they should because he is one of the biggest stars that they have. And but he came off as something wrong because at first I was like, what he said it was he's he sounds like an idiot. But after him explaining himself and apologizing, I can see where he's coming from because baseball doesn't market their stars. And I yeah. think they haven't marketed their stars since a Ken Griffey Jr. or Dick yeah. Derek Jeter. And I feel like that's I feel like that is more so the fault of the MLB rather than it being the fact that he's Japanese American. I believe he's yeah. Japanese. Um like I think I don't think it's necessarily the fact that they don't want to, you know, put him out there more because he doesn't speak English. I think it's like what you just touched on. It's just that the MLB doesn't necessarily do that for the superstars the way they should. But um I mean, he's definitely wrong in the sense of the MLB isn't marketing him. Um I mean, I guess enough because if we're talking in terms of as mu- as far as the MLB will go in terms of marketing their players, they market him probably more or as much as any of their other guys. Then that includes, you know, for the Fernando Tatis's of the world and the Javi Baez's and the Aaron Judges, because I follow the MLB everywhere, and he's constantly being, um, sh- you know, shown off. Yeah, but I, I I just so, feel but, like they don't they don't market yeah, their players no, enough in general. I agree because exactly. Mike Mike we can agree that Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. Oh, probably ever. But yeah, but but they don't. You don't see them marketing him like they oh, did yeah. with a Ken Griffey Jr. or Derek Jeter. Even then, I feel like it was more of the persona that marketed itself. They didn't really do that, uh, which kind of hurts them. But with having a superstar of the stature, because um, you could say he, he's uh, the first player. You could say he he's ba- the the first player we've seen closest to Babe Ruth. Like he's pitching, he's hitting at an elite level, and they're not marketing him, especially with him being inter- an international player, too, at that. Like, that's could put a lot of, you know, uh, like, limelight, a lot of, uh, you know, attention to you and your league, but you don't do it, or you don't do it enough to kind of take advantage of that. Like, this is probably the most talent we've seen in the league, at once, especially young talent. Like like you said, you got Fernando Tatis, you got Aaron Judge, Shohei Tani, Mike Trout, you got uh, Acuna, you got like a bunch of people, bro. Yeah, plenty of talent, you guys, yeah. And they seem to be stagnant and just stuck in their old ways. It just drives me insane. Nah, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Like I said, I think, I definitely don't think they're not um, marketing him enough compared, like, um, you know, relative to the rest of their stars. I think yeah. they are, but I agree um, 100% that in general, 
uh, they don't do very well marketing their superstars. Um, and I think that's a big issue. And, and, you know, kind of what, what I was, what I was touching on earlier, as well as you is like making baseball fun again, uh, keeping people interested and also, you know, kind of engaging with younger fans as well. I feel like that's a big part of it. Um, cause you see a lot with the NFL doing that. And, you know, that's why you see kids walking around with the Odell Beckham Jr. hairstyle and shit like that. And and so, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's just small things like that, that if baseball did better, I completely agree. I mean, that would help their game a thousand, times a thousand. So, um, but yeah, I think they definitely need to do a better job marketing the players. But but now that, we're you know, we all-star break is over, the trade deadline is now approaching. So baseball... The second half of baseball has already begun. Uh, trade deadline is approaching. So my question to you is, what moves would you like to see as the deadline approaches? My moves don't necessarily involve the Yankees at all, okay. uh, but involves two players, two two of which uh, definitely I could see the Yankees um, trying to acquire um, because I think they could use help at this position, but it's starting, starting pitching. Um, I would like to see uh, two players moved. Um, and that is Trevor Story of the Colorado Rockies, and that's Max Scherzer of the Washington Nationals. Um, I mean, Trevor Story, we've heard, you know, I mean, his name comes up all the time as a target that's going to be on the move, and he's yet to move. Um, but I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna be one of them. I definitely think Scherzer's gonna end up being one of them. I mean, he's got already got his chip with the Nationals. Um, but there are plenty of teams that could use pitching help. Um, the Sox are one of them. And the Sox are playing great, but the Sox could definitely use some help at pitching. Oh, what, Red uh, Sox or White Sox? Oh, uh, Red Sox, sorry. Um, the Yankees could use uh, pitching. We know, we I mean, we've been talking about it for years. The Yankees need pitching. Um, the Angels are another team I could see. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the Colorado, Colorado Rockies, they're in no place right now to um, – they're, they're – they're sellers. You know what I mean? Like they got to get rid of, they got to get rid of Trevor story and, and gain some capital so that they could kind of be back on the come up. Um, and so that's why I feel like he, it's almost inevitable that he's gone and nationals, obviously they're fresh off coming off a title a few years ago, but they're definitely not the same team. They were, they're out of the hunt by a few games. They're probably in like fifth place. I believe last I checked um, in their division alone. Or, yeah, in their division, they're like fourth or fifth place. Not many games out. Um, but, again, like I said, they're not in a spot in which they think that they're, that they're comfortable staying where they are mm-hmm. unless they're buying a whole lot. You know what I mean? So I, those two pitchers I'd like to see go to contending teams that are really just, uh, you know, a couple pitchers away. And, again, I mentioned the Angels. I'd love to see, you know, Trevor Story or um, Max Scherzer on the Angels. Uh, specifically because somebody we just talked about, Mike Trout, for years. I mean, it's been tough for the Angels to really put a team around them. Um, and now they're finally acquiring some talent. And I think, you know, acquiring a guy like Max Scherzer or, or, or Trevor Story to kind of bolster down that, that um, you know, that rotation with already having a two-way player in Shohei Otani. You have, you know, Mike, Mike Trout. You have plenty of, of talent, talent on that team. Um, I think this is the perfect time for the Angels to, you know, where I said the Colorado Rockies are sellers. It's perfect time for the Angels to become big buyers and really try to make some moves because it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could make a, a decent run. Um, if not this year, 
in the next few years if they acquired a guy like Trevor Story or especially uh, Max Scherzer. So uh, those are two pitchers that I'm expecting to see move. Um, pitchers, and the, Story, Story is a shortstop. No, Trevor Story. Uh, Trevor Story, I thought he was a, uh, oh, he is a shortstop. I'm thinking of somebody else, my bad. Um, I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, what's the pitcher's name that the Yankees uh-huh. were going to try to acquire? Bauer. But oh, Bauer. Bauer. Yeah, yeah. He went sure. to the Yeah, but he already moved. Um, so, yeah, I would like to see Max Scherzer moved. Um, obviously, I'm not Story now because I'm talking well, about pitching. Sto- story is still yeah, going to get moved. But, yeah, Story is still going to get moved. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I would just like to see Max Scherzer go to a team that's going to contend especially more specifically, like I said, a team like the Angels that's so close um, to finally putting a team around a guy like Mike Trout who really deserves to win. So, you know. Well, yeah, I, I've been on the record here on the podcast saying that Scherzer, well, the Angels need are were losers at one point in time this season because of how bad they've been doing and the talent that they have. Like, you have two of the best players in baseball and you, you still are at the bottom of your division. Like, doesn't make any sense. And the big reason why is pitching. So Max, someone of Max Scherzer's caliber that's on the market, you better go get him. I mean, they try to take a dip in free agency, and it was a fail. Pretty much Otani's your your ace and your second best. Oh, right now he's your probably your best hitter, and Trout's your second best hitter, but he's your second best player in general, and he's doing it all, literally. So uh, give, getting Scherzer kind of takes some – leverage off his back because he's not doesn't have so much pressure on his shoulders when he's on the mound uh although i'm pretty sure he doesn't really care uh but it, it definitely helps contribute especially because they can they can you know talk and give pointers to one another and things of that nature but you did take one of my guys in trevor story so i guess i'll, I'll say it the way you, you you said it but there's a few guys that i would like to see get moved one of which was a surprise to me when I seen an article and I had to, you know, bring it to our uh, attention to one of our friends that is a fan of the team, Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Twins. They, I've seen an article saying that they're going to try to resign him, but if he declines their contract extension, they will shop him. Another team that can use pitching as well. <laughs> so, so Byron Buxton He's a center fielder. For those that don't understand, he's one of the fastest in the league. So defensively, he's a monster. Um, hitting wise, he, he's he's not like of the elite, but he's he's pretty good. So the, the Yankees, I'm not saying they're going to get him, but that could be someone that they could also get too because they've been looking for outfielders with Aaron Hicks being down. Even though I don't I haven't really been a fan of Hicks. Uh, he's just been too inconsistent for me, and he's always been on the injury list. But they they're looking for outfielders. Got tongue tied. Specifically, a center fielder, and that's what Byron Buxton is. So that would be nice. Um, but if not, a lot of championship contenders can uh, can use someone of Byron Buxton's caliber, uh, like the Dodgers. Not the Dodgers, the the Giants, for example. They they've been looking for outfielders. For some time, um, even you could even say the Mets too. But another another player that I was thinking of is Joey Gallo. So the, he's another outfielder, but he's for the, from the Texas Rangers. We've seen him in the home run derby. He's he's in a, he's a power hitter. Uh, 
the Yankees are talking about getting him too, um, but I don't want to acquire him if that means keeping Stanton as well, just because I feel like we're going to have too many power hitters and only one DH spot. I feel like Stanton has really hurt the Yankees, not due to his performance, but the fact that we, we seem to tie him to the DH role and not kind of rotate it in and out. So we're kind of stuck in our old ways. And another thing that I kind of hope for come as the deadline approaches, this one, I, I, I get, I mentioned the Yankees already twice, but I, I want to see Aaron Boone get fired. <laughs> Cause he's That's not a part of the trade deadline. It's not a part of the trade <laughs> deadline, but as the trade deadline approaches, I hope he gets fired because he keeps saying the Yankees are turning the corner, and then you look, and the Yankees are fucking getting torched. <laughs> like they're back I, to the same old ways. They, they, they're up and down. They're hot and cold. Um, they took two out of three from the first base socks in the series. Oh no! Uh, I'm, not saying, I'm not like saying they, specifically that, but I'm yeah. just saying like he seems like every so often when the Yankees win one game, he's all oh, the Yankees are turning it around, and then next thing you know, we're back to the same old bullshit. No, that's what I'm saying. They're they've been hot and cold because there are times where it looks like they might be able to turn it around. And I don't think you should. I don't think I'm not saying necessarily. You, I don't think anybody should sleep on them. Um, but uh, at the same time, they do have to show uh, something because one day they are, you know, like I said, they're beating the first place Sox, and then the next day they're losing to a team that they shouldn't. It, and it's almost like kind of, you know, what I mean, is they're losing the games that they shouldn't be um, most of the time, which is a problem. Um, so the Giants could be interested in Trevor Story, like you were just like you mentioned Trevor Story. Yeah. He, Giants could be interested in him too, just because uh, their shortstop Brandon Crawford, he just got moved to the entry list with an oblique strain. So who knows how long that's going to sideline him for? No, but yeah, I mean, you're probably not the only Yankees fan that feels that way about Boone. Um, he hasn't made the best decisions. Uh, a lot of the glaring ones seem to be like. Late in games, uh, you know, like pitching changes, uh, we end up losing a lot of games like that. So, um, yeah, no, nah, you're definitely not the only Yankees fan that feels that way. And I'm not going to say that I necessarily feel that way or I don't. Um, but he definitely has made some pretty impactful mistakes. Uh, they, were, they were saying they gave him the keys to a Ferrari. And, oh. he, and, he, <laughs> and he's driving it like a fucking Honda Civic. Yeah, no, nah, he's... Uh, he hasn't been. He hasn't made the best decisions, uh, in-game decisions. I completely agree. He's lost a, uh, a few, a good amount of games. <laughs> yes. So, another move that I th- I would like to see is Craig Crumble, the relief pitcher. Uh, he I think he just needs a new opportunity elsewhere. Yeah. To to well, he needs a a role on a winning team that's going to compete for a championship. So. I, I think he's deserving of it, of it, and I think whoever lands him, it's going to be in. Uh, I, I'd like to see where he lands because it could be interesting. On because they're talking about teams like I think the the Rays that could that can grab him. Who are the Rays are, are playing well? Um, the Padres. So it, it could be interesting. It could be interesting. It'll be uh, interesting to see him go to a team like the Blue Jays, even who's very yep. young. Um, and they're very good as well. They, they've so. they've turned things around. With, well, due not because of George Springer, but since he's returned, uh, they've seemed to get beginning it together. They had two all stars in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, I mean, Springer. and um, um, Bo uh, Bichet. 
So they have plenty of talent. Plenty they look like a promising team on that team. They have Lourdes Gurriel, Vladimir Guerrero, George Springer, Bobuchet, Marcus Simeon, uh, Cav Kevin Biggio. Like they have a lot of good. They have a promising, promising squad. Definitely. So to shift over, to, sh- to shift over from sport to sport. We're going to be talking about the NFL now. And before we get started to talk about the NFL, we want to announce that Jovan and I are going to be return or bringing back the NFL divisional breakdowns uh, in the coming weeks. Last year, we did it. It seemed like you guys enjoyed it. Uh, so this year, Jovan had the NFC last year. He's going to take over the AFC, and I'm going to take over the, uh, the NFC this year. And we're going to go division by division and break it down. And we're going to at least, you know, give it some time before the actual season because I know when we dropped it last year, we were dropping it as the season was starting. Uh, so we, we're going to, you know, drop it a little earlier so you guys can see our breakdown prior to week one rather than on week one. So uh, we hope you guys enjoy. So just stay tuned for the coming weeks. We'll, we'll be dropping uh, our breakdowns. You know what moves are going to impact our breakdowns? So was that? One move that might impact our breakdowns. I know it's definitely going to impact mine. Cam Akers, it was just announced. He just tore his Achilles while training. So the Rams lose their leading rusher heading into training camp. I think we're one week out from training camp. So that's a big blow to them and their championship aspirations. And so we'll dive deep into that. And then another one is Aaron Rodgers. We still don't know where he's going. And it's even more in question now because they said there's there's uh, rumors around rumors, but basically news that just broke that saying that the Packers offered him a two year extension that would have kept him there for five years and made him the highest player uh, paid player in the NFL, and he turned it down. So that's proof that it's not about the money. It's not about the money. And a big team that they're saying that he might go to is the Broncos if he does get traded, which I don't want to see. If it does happen, let it happen after week one because, you know, the Giants play the Broncos week one. But uh, let's get your thoughts on it. We, we don't, it don't matter if we got to face him week one anyways because then we're going to have to see him in the in the Super Bowl. So. Okay. <laughs> but but give your thoughts on Cam Akers and, and, and then we'll Breakdown talk about Aaron Rodgers. That was just the that was just a peek into what my NFC breakdown would look like. Giants <laughs> all the way. Um, <laughs> um, what? I'm oh, sorry. What was your question again? I, so I just want to get your thoughts on like the the Cam Nakers news be- oh, before yeah. we get into the Aaron um, Not yet. I mean, we were talking a little bit about we were speaking a little bit about um, you know, Matthew Stafford the other day, because uh, the conversation came up about. Matthew Stafford and Dak Prescott. And we're talking about who the better quarterback was. Um, I mean, that's neither here nor there right now. But, um, you know, I... I that, could, I that could be a poll of the week. Oh, def, def. Um, But I did, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you probably remember me mentioning, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, that I think Matthew Stafford is probably going to have the best season of his career with this Rams team. I think he's the most talented offense as a whole um, that he's ever had around him. Um, and I think the reason that he's kind of always been um, underrated and not really cared for or talked about or taken seriously is due to the fact that he's in Detroit and they never really had, you know, pieces to put around them. Um, yeah. But on that note, um, obviously losing your leading rusher is 
I mean, it's huge. You know what I mean? Like, and this is something that the Rams kind of just had to go through with, uh, you know, Todd Gurley um, getting injured and kind of playing on a bad knee, basically his entire career in the NFL almost. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely gonna be tough. Um, Cause a big part of getting your passing game going, especially with the guys that the Rams got, um, they don't really have that. Like, I mean, they have a great wide receiver core, but they don't have that guy. I mean, they have a lot of good talented players. So it's going to be tough to kind of get that passing game going without, you know, Cam Akers there to kind of bolster down that run game, as well as the, you know, catching passes in the backfield. Uh, it's definitely going to be a lot tougher. Um, and that, you know, losing him is could be the difference between them, you know, winning and losing a couple games, which a couple games is the difference, especially in that division, um, the difference between winning and losing a division. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, you know, the difference between wild card or, you know, a four or three spot. So um, it's definitely huge, and it sucks to see. I hate to see people lose, you know, you lose their seasons. Um, on, you know, torn Achilles, torn ACL. I mean, it just happened to one of my favorite players last year, a giant, Saquon Barkley. Um, so you hate to see it happen, but uh, I wish him a speedy recovery, man. It really sucks. Yeah, it, it almost seems like they're, when they seem to have some things figured out, there's always a catch. And I agree with Matthew Stafford. I, I think in terms of playmakers, this is the, the, the best players he's had around him. Obviously, the best one of his career was Calvin Johnson, but at, in terms of balance, like this is probably the best running game that he would have had. Uh, I, I think last year was his best running backs that he had uh, in Detroit with you know DeAndre Swift, but they didn't take advantage of it of him till later. And then now Cam Akers, I felt like it was going to it was going to pan out for him because. He had weapons and a quarterback that defenses had to fear because of his arm and the ability that he's able to do with that. So that was going to open the run game up for K-Makers. And K-Makers can contribute in the, in the pass game as well. So I, I'm kind of, you know, questioning, like, do they just have that next man up mentality? Because they did draft Daryl Henderson not that long ago to kind of be the guy to take over after Todd Gurley. Or even just help out, or do they go out? Because I I know they're tight against the cap. Like, do you go out and sign a, a vet to like a vet minimum deal if, you, if that's if that's even possible? I would have to look at the numbers. But Todd Gurley's still on the market, and he's familiar with the offense. Maybe you bring him back and just do a running back by committee with him and Henderson and Malcolm Brown, or do you? Or there's like a Le'Veon Bell still on the market who can you know who can contribute. He's not his old self, but he can contribute. There's Adrian Peterson is still on the market, too. I mean, he's not as good of a pass catcher as the other two guys, but he can still run the ball. He's still got some juice left in, in them legs. Like, I wonder what, how they're going to, you know, handle the situation, especially going into training camp. It's so close to the season, and, and to have this big blow happen, it, it sucks. It really does, but... If it were to happen, you'd rather it happen now rather than, you know, in season because you have more time to uh, have these guys adjust to getting the first team reps or even um, I, it's a longer time for K-makers to recover from this injury. So 
to be ready for next year rather than if it were to happen like midseason, for example. So it does suck. I really do hope he has a speedy recovery because he, I, I felt like he was bound for, you know, big things this season. Um, and no, it's definitely going to impact my, my breakdown for sure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like the that move – I, I, that move, as, as big as it was, I still think that move for Stafford was so underrated. Um, j- just due to the fact that, like, that, I feel like that, like, they talk about, you know, Jared Goff made it to the Super Bowl, you know, with the Rams. Like, I get that. Um, and there's no slight on Jared Goff, but he's not Matthew Stafford. And that, the leap that he, the leap that he gave that Rams offense when he joined is, it's just leaps and bounds above what Jared Goff was would have ever been able to accomplish with that team. Um, you know what I mean? Offensively. Um, yeah. But, again, like like we said, I mean, all the players you mentioned are definitely, definitely uh, solid pickups that I think the Rams should definitely be heavily considering because um, you can't just, you can't just lose your lead back like that and, and kind of yeah. not make some form of recovery. And I think all those guys are solid choices because I think all those guys could make, you know, contribute make, somehow, somehow. Contribute somehow in, in an impactful ways. And maybe not in the same sense of a Cam Akers, um, but a guy like Todd Gurley, Adrian Peterson, like Adrian Peterson still has some of the best numbers over the last like three or four years of all the backs Run, in the league. Running the ball. Yeah, running the ball. Like, over the last three or four years. Like, we're not even talking about the best years of his career right now. And he was on Washington where they didn't have no weapons. Or not no weapons. They they didn't have everything put together, I should say, because they did have Terry McLaurin. But they didn't have everything put together. The quarterback, there was always a new quarterback under under center and things of that nature. So he still has some juice in the the legs, is what what I was saying. And I just want to correct myself. I, I said uh, they could do a rotation of Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown is no longer a member of the Rams. He's a member of the, the Miami Dolphins. So now they only have Daryl Henderson, who they drafted a few years ago. And everyone else behind Daryl Henderson is, I'm assuming, is a rookie or or they're, they're just inexperienced. They don't have, like, that in-game experience. Uh, so what do you do? Do you wait till like, you know, roster cuts and just pick someone up from waivers or do you make the move now? Like you're heading into training camp. This is the perfect time to, you know, get someone under, you know, the idea of what you what you, what you want to do. And honestly, I think the best move for them might be Todd Gurley. Like, if the if the relationship is still cool between you guys, because I don't know how it ended between between the two. But I think if everything is good, I think that might be the best move because he knows the playbook. Yeah, he knows. He, he knows, you know, L.A., he knows Sean McVay, and yes, he's not Todd Gurley of old, but he knows going in, he's not going to be the guy, he's going to be a running back by committee, yeah. but he's still one of the best red zone backs in the league. Like, goal line backs, he was, he was top of the league last year. He's just, he's not, you know, the bell cow anymore. He's not going to run, run you to the, to the Super Bowl like he did uh, a few years back. But he's he can contribute in the running game and the pass game when needed. But come when you're in the red zone or at the goal line, he can pound the rock in. Yeah. No, and I was gonna say, uh, 100%. Uh, when you're thinking just specifically playbook wise, Todd Gurley's the easy choice because, like you said, you're so close to training camp, having to kind of learn a whole new playbook. Um, it's difficult. It's, you know what I mean? It's not gonna be something that's just gonna come to you like that. Um, 
But honestly, play style wise, who you, who I think you get the most out of, um, I think is Le'Veon Bell. I'd love to see that. Um, his ability to run the ball and also, again, like I said, somebody that's going to ha- be able to catch passes out in the backfield. I think that Rams team will be very dangerous with Le'Veon Bell. I mean, we saw him with the Chiefs. Like you said, he he's not the same Le'Veon Bell. That's that's clear that he's not the same Le'Veon Bell because if he was, um, he probably have been utilized a lot more. But at the same time, I don't think he was being utilized um, no. and enough in either KC or in New York. Um, so yeah, um, I, I I think he has something to prove. He has a chip on his shoulder, definitely. and it's not it's not a chip on the shoulder saying that he's the same old running back, but more so like he still got it. Like he's yeah. he's not a scrub because especially with the beef that he seems to have with Andy Reid <laughs> and the Chiefs, um, that, that that probably can play a factor into his performance. But also the fact that, you know, this might be the best team that he joins. Oh, now I had to take that back. The Chiefs are good. But he, in terms of the opportunity, he's going to get the opportunity and on, on a, a good team for the first time since his Pittsburgh Steelers days. Yeah. No. I'm trying I, to say, like, the Chiefs are going to have the opportunity to, you know, start – or be like the number one guy. Whereas now he kind of, like, you sign him to one year deal. He's, this is a prove it deal for him, yeah. but it's also like, he's going to get the opportunity and he's not going to be, you know, the full, fo- the focus uh, of like for defense. Like yeah. the defenses are going to be paying attention to the passing game and he's going to be second nature. Like he's going to be just be there and they can use him as a gadget, like receiver in the backfield. doesn't matter. They can, yeah. they can move him around. No. And I, and I get what you're saying because it, it's weird, but it almost seems like, like, the way, not just the way you're saying it, but the way it actually seems is like the Chiefs were almost too good for him to kind of, yeah, for him to get that opportunity. Whereas the Rams, not that they're not really good, they're a really good football team, um, but they're not, their offense isn't Chiefs good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that same level of, so I definitely think there's more opportunity for him to succeed there, especially now with a guy like, you know, K-Makers going down. Uh, than he would have ever had in terms of, you know, being a, a chief or a jet. And, and I, I'm excited because if he were to go there to see him under Sean McVay, who's the offensive genius, he's coming up with new ideas or he, like he likes to say on his podcast, flying coach. Uh, so he, he says the best coaches are the best, you know, stealers. Like he, he steals uh, like things he sees from like around the league. So yeah. Uh, he can figure it out how to utilize someone of Le'Veon Bell's ability, even though he's not prime Le'Veon Bell. So that that would be dope. But my guess would be that they don't sign any of these guys that we're naming, and they just wait till the roster cuts and then sign someone then. Because I think they're they're gonna end up going in with this, to the season with Henderson as the number one guy, but they'll sign people as depth and kind of just rotate for you know running back by committee. But that's neither here or there. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Is he done? Where's he going? What do you what do you what are your thoughts? Um, I don't know, man. It's it's so tough to call because I don't know that he necessarily wants out. You know what I mean? Like it almost everybody's saying like he's gone, he's gone. Like I can see that. Like you know what I mean? He declined a, a two year extension, uh, like you mentioned earlier. The client's two-year extension that would have had him there for five more years would have made him the highest-played player in the NFL for probably who knows how long because as soon as the next quarterback get, gets extended, that's out the window. Um, but, you know, he would have been the highest-played player in the NFL. He would have been there for five more years, which is stability. Um, but, like you said, 
it's clearly not about the money, but I don't necessarily think that it also means that he wants out. Um, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but it almost feels like to me that the Packers aren't listening. Yeah, you know what he, I mean. He, he if, said he said he wanted the GM fired. Yeah, and and it seems like the Packers aren't listening. It feels like the Packers are listening to everyone outside of the room rather than the person they should be focusing on. Um, because it almost seems like everybody's saying, "Oh, it's about the money. It's about the money." So the Packers are saying, "Okay, let's offer this guy more money." And then it's Aaron Rodgers. Almost feels like Aaron Rodgers saying. I've been saying this whole time that it's not about the money. Like, you know what I mean? And you guys haven't done anything to kind of recon- like reconcile this relationship um, other than try to throw more money at me. Um, that's what it feels like. I don't know all the details of it. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers hasn't really said much. Um, he said very little, but, I mean, the he very little that – Exactly. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, the ball's really – I mean, it's in the Packers court, but he has all the advantages. You know what I mean? Like, he has he, he has the retire. upper hand. He can he do can literally whatever he, he wants. He can sit out. He yeah. Needs. And so, I just think that's really what it is. I don't think it's necessarily that he wants to go. I just think he's trying to tell the Packers, hey, like, you're just not listening to me. Like, I'm literally telling you what I want. And he might not be saying it to us, or he might be saying it in a way that only the Packers will understand. But Clearly, nobody over there is listening to him. Um, I think it's still possible that he stays, but if they don't do anything to kind of reconcile that relationship with him, if they don't do anything to make him happy, what he's kind of been saying from the beginning, um, then he's definitely out of there. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, yeah. there's no way you're gonna, there's no way you're staying if the team's just like, look, we'll give you more money, but aside from that, like, you yeah, have so, no say in anything so, else. So we're one week away from training camp. Do you think he reports? And, and 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 if he doesn't report, do you think the Packers fine him for not reporting? Because they have the ability to. I don't know. That's so that's so tough because I was I, I've watched a lot of interviews with old players, his old receivers, like who know him, who know the guy very well, and you know they say that there's no way that he's not reporting. Um, but when I just look at the situation, at least from the outside looking in, I don't know the guy personally, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they'd know better than I would. They'd have a better gauge on whether or not he's going to be able to show up or not be able to, but want to show up. So they definitely have a better way of gauging that. So when they say that they don't feel like there's any way he's missing, I want to believe them. But then when you look at the situation, it's like there's no way that he's showing up. Like there's yeah. just no way that he's going to show up. Yeah, I'm on the same page. It doesn't look like he's going to show up. I mean, I know he wants to show up. Like obviously he – because he already said he already says he loves his coaches, he loves his teammates. Like he he'll, he'll go to war with them, those guys. But it's literally everyone else. So the front, everyone in the front office, specifically the GM. He already said he wanted. Well, he didn't say it himself, but there was rumors saying that he he if he, they want him back, they need to fire the GM because they're not on good terms. And um, it doesn't seem like like you said the the Packers have done enough to reconcile their their relationship. So. I'm interested to see if he doesn't report, do they find him for not reporting? Because I feel like if they find him, that's only going to make the relationship worse. Like, you're only going to get more on his bad side because, uh, like, yeah, you offered him money, but and he said it's not about money. And I'm pretty sure he can, you know, dish out the money, but it's like you're not fixing what I'm telling you to fix, and then you're finding me for not, you know, Showing up, uh, it's not. It's just not going to make anything better. It just put, just put it like that. 
Um, so I'm interested to see what happens there. I don't think he's going to get traded. Like as much as like as talented as he is, I don't think teams are going to you know fetch up. Or I think that's how you no oh, no fess up. They're not going to fess up a bunch of top picks in their future for a quarterback that's almost forty. Like I think he's like thirty-seven. Like that's that's a risky play. Like that's coming all. That's off, a that's a, that's a win MVP, now. Coming off MVP season, a win now team would definitely. Jump that's what I'm saying. That's a win now move for sure. Like you're basically risking your future for like at least one season, at yeah. least. So that that's that's risky. Like Denver seems like the most logical spot because they don't really seem to have a quarterback. And but again, they just traded for Teddy Bridgewater. So like now, does Teddy Bridgewater just like be his backup? And that's an expensive backup, if you ask me. Um, but they have the defense to kind of compete. They have the playmakers to kind of compete as well. But. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's going to stay a member of the Packers. Like, before, I, I thought he was going to get traded, but I think he's going to end up staying with the Packers for at least this season, at least. And then he'll get traded if things are still not reconciled. But I think the Packers are going to end up pulling the trigger on firing their GM before they do trading Aaron Rodgers. But, yeah, and, I mean, that's the, that's really, like, one of the more confusing things about this whole scenario is the reports of, like, him wanting his GM fired and stuff. But I'm pretty sure I just saw him on somebody's podcast, some, like, a few months ago, saying it has, you know, like, it's nothing to do with wanting a guy to get fired. Like, he doesn't want – I don't think he even wants a guy to get fired. But for me, I'm just asking, like, like who is – who ha- from this team has reached out to him? And, like, what have the conversations been like? Besides like, besides the players and coaches? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, what have the conversations been like from, you know, the owners, from the GM that he's yeah. had this issue with? Has the GM tried to fix whatever issue it is? You know what I mean? Like, and that's, for me, what's so confusing about this. I'm just like, like, in the sense that it, it shouldn't be that hard when you have a quarterback that's this <laughs> talented. Like, it should not be this hard. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, Give the guy what he wants, especially if it's not more money. Because for most guys, it is money, and that 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 almost is more more times than not. That's you know, giving more money is is what's harder. And here the Packers are like, here, have all the money you want, and he's like, no, I don't. It's not that. So for me, I'm just like, it, the whole thing seems confusing. Yeah, uh, for sure, and I feel like this is going to impact their season. And it, I'll explain it in my breakdown of that division specifically, but I, I like, I don't think so. Like, should he return? I think he's going to be prepared. He's one of those quarterbacks. We talked about it in the interview with Dex because he mentioned Aaron Rodgers. So go check out the interview if you haven't already. Um, but like, he's very detail oriented. He he does his homework. Like, he's going to be ready should he return. But the, all the drama and stuff like that is going to play a factor in the the team, the team's camaraderie, you can say, because come game day, like in these workouts, I think like OTAs and stuff like that, like he sat out. So there, his receivers sat out too. So now Jordan Love was practicing first team reps, but not with the first team playmakers. Like, and, and I, I think that although he might not be playing, Let's say, should he play, that's kind of setting him 
up Phil Ross. And then yeah. if he doesn't play, it's like we didn't have these practice reps. And yes, practice. I'm not saying that they're not talented enough to still be able to perform, like practice, practice. But like those practice reps, it's all about timing. And yeah, it, definitely. It, and, and and I like their timing is going to be off come game day, if he does return, especially with all this drama, and they don't have like this this training camp or OTAs to kind of this together like i don't know i just feel like it's going to impact their their performance somehow some way if oh, he doesn't re- if, if he does return and it but this saga continues for for as the season gets closer yeah no you're, you're not wrong at all it's definitely going to have an impact like i mean how big or small of an impact who knows but when you have that going on in the in the background during your season it's i mean it's not going to be easy for really any team to kind of just look past that and try to go out and play, you know, 17 weeks of football. Um, it's it's not an easy task. But if I'm anybody on the Packers, uh, well, players and coaches-wise, I'm, I'm pissed off because, you know, I feel like people that are having – I mean, obviously the owners and GMs have, have you know, any and everything to do with the team. They put the team together for the most part. But when it comes to playing the games and being a part of the game, these people that have almost no part in the game at all in itself are kind of affecting your season. And so for me, like that 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 just is bothersome. Like I, I'd be I'd be annoyed at this point. Like, you know, guys that have nothing to do with being on the field are kind of affecting the way our season's gonna go already. Um and it's really yep. unfortunate. Yeah. Uh and to move on to something else that's going to be impacting uh, your perform- team performances on the field is uh, COVID. COVID seems to be impacting everything. Like, if you just look at the Olympics, they're even talking about, like, even canceling the event entirely because the, the, the COVID, like, the athletes uh, are, are, like, the – Positive COVID tests from the athletes are spiking. Like, it's, it's spiking everywhere, right? So, with the NFL, they have, you know, they they there's been, you know, rumors, you can say, or, or news coming out of the vaccination rates amongst teams. So, the NFL has already announced that they don't plan on canceling any games this season due to COVID. So, that's that. Uh, so, but as of right now, two teams, two NFL teams remain under 50% vaccinated less than two weeks from the, the start of training camp. As of Friday, Washington and Indianapolis had the two lowest COVID-19 vaccination rates amongst the 32 teams in the league. Pittsburgh, Miami, Carolina, and Denver have the highest vaccination rates. 13 teams have achieved at least 85%. And then uh, Bleacher Report comes out. And this is according to ESPN. Michael Irvin spoke on the Cowboys specifically, but you can pretty much say this uh, uh, team in, in the league. But he says, if you're not one of the teams at le- at the 85% vaccinated threshold, are you really thinking about winning a championship? Somebody in that damn locker room should say, hey, man, we're going to have a chance are you vaccinated? This ain't the NBA in this league that could be that in this league that could be it for you. 
the right person misses two weeks, that's it. Which he's not wrong. No, he's uh, not wrong. So my my question to you is: Should these teams at least be the eighty five percent threshold? Like, especially if you're if you're one of the best teams going, and you know you have you know a championship mindset, or you have uh, opportunity to win a championship. Uh, well, first I will say this: uh, It's up to that team specific, whatever team we're talking about. Yeah. You know, no. it's their prerogative whether or not they want to, uh, you know, have players be mandated to get a vaccine. Uh, but that's one. Um, and two, like, I'm not gonna tell. I'm not gonna tell anybody to do anything. Like, I'm not gonna tell you to get vaccinated. I'm not gonna tell you to not get vaccinated. Uh, I think, I think it should be up to the decision of that person or player, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do 100% get where he's coming from. Um, you know what I mean? Like, if you want to win a Super Bowl, if you think your team has a shot at making a deep playoff run, this, that, and the third, um, if you're not vaccinated. Uh, then you better be following every protocol to the best of your ability. Um, because if you aren't and you're kind of being, you know, your self-awareness is low, you really don't care about the fact that you're not vaccinated and you're kind of doing whatever, um, then, you know, you really deserve whatever's coming to you. And I don't mean that in the worst way possible. Obviously, I don't mean, you know, in a bad way. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to miss two weeks and that's going to affect your team, that's your fault. You know what I mean? And you, you basically, what I'm saying is you got to take, you got to take the consequences that come with not being vaccinated. Um, You have to understand that. So, you know, get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated, but you know, you gotta, you gotta take those consequences that come with your decision. And if you choose not to get vaccinated, then make sure that you're following the protocols to the best of your ability. And that's period. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, it, I'm not saying that it's mandated. I, I think what they're doing is it is optional as it is with any anybody else, but they're kind of encouraging the players to get the vaccination. Uh, so he's basically saying that people in the locker room, if you know you have an opportunity to win a championship, you should be encouraging your teammates that aren't vaccinated to get vaccinated and to at least meet that 85% threshold. Um, and I, I think he isn't wrong in saying that if you're not at least at 85 threshold, like, are you really about winning the championship? Because that, that you're you're more likely to have positive tests and players missing two weeks. Like when he said, the, if the if uh, the right person misses two weeks, that could be your season. Like, just imagine you're in the playoffs and someone like a Tom Brady goes goes down and has to miss two weeks due to you know. COVID, like, I'm not wishing bad on Tom Brady, but this is just a hypothetical. It's like, you're already in the playoffs, and it's, you know, win or go home situation every single week. So let's say your leader goes down, your backup is is Kyle Trask, the rookie. Like, now he has to kind of, for two weeks, has he has to come up with two wins before Brady can even come back. Like, that could be your season right there. Or it could be the end of the season, where you're fighting for a playoff spot and or a wild card spot, just playoff spot in general, and the right player can go down, and that could be your season right there. Like you missed the, the your the, your opportunity window to even make the playoffs, 
and compete for a championship. This plays a huge factor. And I'm not saying go get the vaccination. Like, it's not mandated. The NFL even has guidelines, uh, like travel guidelines for players that are vaccinated and aren't vaccinated. Like, if you're vaccinated, I think you're basically free free to do whatever you want. Like, it's normal. But if you're not vaccinated, you like, you can't leave the hotel. You can't uh, communicate with anyone or come in contact with anyone that's not a part of the team, uh, and especially during, like, practice and stuff like that. Like, basically, you're isolated. You could have a Lou Will situation or Lemon Pepper Lou going to the strip club, get some, some wings. And, you know, next thing you know, you got to isolate because not just because you're positive, but it, it could result in a positive test. But now you just expose yourself and for two weeks and that could be your season right there, too. Like a lot. Of, there's a lot of factors. And no, I, I, I think he's not wrong here. No, he. that's what I'm saying. Like, he's definitely not. I just think, like, if you're not going to get vaccinated, just be responsible. And that that's really the, the biggest and yeah. like you know what I mean like for whatever reason you believe that you don't want to get the vaccine that's fine like you're you're entitled to believe whatever you want to believe or have whatever opinion but it's just like just be responsible because at that moment that's when for me it becomes an issue i don't think it's necessarily like oh hey you're not getting vaccinated you're not taking this seriously enough no nah, because there could be a personal reason why he's not getting vaccinated i'm yeah. but i do know that the minute i see you not being responsible is the minute you know I realize that you're not taking it seriously. And obviously, you know what I mean? This is me speaking as if I'm looking from the point of view of an NFL player. You know what I mean? Like, if I see you as my teammate and I know you're not vaccinated and you're not being responsible, that's when, for me, I'm like, okay, you're definitely not taking this seriously. I don't want to – I don't even want to play with you anymore because you don't, you don't care about our opportunity to kind of, you know, do something special this year. And so that that for me is when it becomes a problem. But I do I do get where he's coming from, one hundred percent. I guess from a different perspective, you can see why people wouldn't get like there's religious reasons why people wouldn't get the vaccination. Um, and there's other reasons. I'm not saying like you have to get the vaccination. I was against getting the vaccination at first. Like I wasn't with getting the vaccination. The only reason why I got the vaccination was because I wanted to go to the Yankee game and it was easier for me to get a vaccination than to continuously have to get tested to prove that I was negative. So if I just wanted to do it so I could have the free will to do whatever I wanted, um, but should it not be mandated, basically, I wouldn't have got it. Um, So that, and that's why I'm not against people not getting it, but you encourage people to get it because I obviously want to get back to normal or as close to normal as you possibly can get, even though it's not going to ever be the same. But it is what it is. I mean, it, like you mentioned, it's all, all ultimately it's up to the the specific teams that were that um that those players are on. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the player and their individual decision on whether to get it or not. I think a lot of the big stars will get it, but there'll be a, a few sprinkled in that that won't. And we'll, I, I think we'll be under better circumstances this season than we were last season uh, with COVID, so just because we they kind of had an off season to prepare and figure some stuff out. But also, there's a vaccination now, whereas there wasn't one before. So that's that. But to to move on to our last news of the NFL, Eli and Peyton Manning are to the headline. 
an alternate Monday Night Football broadcast over the next three seasons on ESPN2 for 10 games in each of the next three seasons and will include current and former NFL players and celebrities joining the Manning brothers on the broadcast. So my question to you is, are you tuning into ESPN and the, and the typical, you know, broadcast team or with, uh, I think it's Bob, Bob Grease, Louis Riddick and, and whomever, I think Stan Levy, or are you tuning into ESPN two with the Manning brothers? Look, I'm going to answer your question like this. I'm going to need Eli and Peyton to host every Monday night football game on ESPN. I don't need them on ESPN, too. I need them to do not just 10 games a season. I need them for every Monday night football game for for the rest of whenever. Uh, I think that is great TV. I think Peyton Peyton and Eli are, are two of the most hilarious players in football, and most of the time is without even trying. Um, and so honestly, I mean, just when you see them together in commercials, uh, when you see them together on TV, kind of doing interviews, like just their personalities, the way they are together, obviously them being brothers. So like just the way they are together, like the, the fun, the fun shit they, you know, they do the funny shit they say, like, it's always, it's never like a dull moment. I feel like when they're together, um, or even when they're just, you know, themselves with somebody else so them hosting a monday night football game on top of the fact that i think it will be complete jokes um and also just you know two legendary quarterbacks and yes eli manning is a legend uh two legendary quarterbacks you know just talking football uh breaking down the games and color commentating uh is amazing i mean we've seen tony romo do it i'm not a big tony romo fan obviously he's a dallas cowboy but he's a really good color commentator. He knows what the fuck he's talking about. He literally sometimes calls out plays before they happen, and that's dope as shit to see. So, you know, I can only just imagine, like, seeing Eli Manning, you know, a two-time Super Bowl champion, Peyton Manning, one of the, obviously uh, also a Super Bowl champion, but one of the greatest, you know, minds the game has ever seen, uh, pun intended because he got a big-ass head. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just think in general <laughs> – it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be great. Uh, it's good TV, so I'm excited for it. I'm gonna definitely be tuning into ESPN two, 100. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> tuning ESPN two. Um, I'm not saying the team, the commentary team for Monday Night Football is trash. No, it's not. Because I do think it was better this past season than it was like the years before. Uh, but I'm. I've been wanting Peyton, well, ESPN has, well, I've been wanting to see Payton in the booth for some, since he, he's retired. And I think they try to get him for Monday Night Football. Payton in the booth. And they try, and they try to get him uh, before <laughs> to do Monday Night Football, and it just wasn't wasn't it. The way you said but that the, was like he's about to drop a mixtape. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, the fact that he ultimately said no, or they just didn't get him at the time, and then now... They get him, but not just him. They get him with Eli. is amazing. Like you mentioned, we've seen what they can do in commercials and their skits and things of that nature. Like they're both funny in in like their individual right. I think Eli's funnier because I just feel like he's more low key with with his jokes. And I think I think with this opportunity, we'll see more of his fun side because everyone just looks at Eli and looks at his bland face that he gives on the football field. 
yeah. rather than his personality. And a lot of his former teammates say that he's one of the funniest guys on the team uh, just because of what he what he does. Like, he likes to pull pranks on on, on people and yeah. things of that nature. So well, this, and this is going to be interesting. Def, and, and not to mention, you did say it will include, you know, former NFL players, which I think is dope. Uh, seeing maybe other legends join them, but also celebrities. Uh, like you said, I, that's something I didn't know that they were going to, you know, have other people on with them at times as well. But, you know, that's amazing. Like, imagine watching a Monday night football game getting commentated by Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, and then you just randomly throw in, like, fucking Snoop Dogg, who's been commentating everything recently. Like, or, no, Marshawn Lynch. Or, oh, Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> like, this is your comedy, man. That that would be amazing. I'd love to see either of yeah. those guys with Eli and Peyton. So, I so, mean, it's so, just yeah, it, they said this is going to be from, like, uh, undisclosed location, so it's not going to be at the stadium. But I'm viewing it as it's going to be like a watch party. So yeah. you're gonna, they're gonna be watching it in like, uh, you gotta say a man cave, and they're gonna be breaking down the game, commentating obviously, but they're gonna cr- be cracking jokes and having side conversations as well, yeah. and like, without getting into like the celebrities and the, uh, the other legends, like you mentioned, like these two guys are one of the smartest players that played the game ever, and Peyton has done amazing things with his pay- his Peyton place on ESPN Plus. Uh, for those that have watched it, and in terms of that's almost like the with like Daniel Cormier and Kobe with the with detail, the yeah. detail they break things down, and even Payton does detail for football for ESPN. So like just viewing what he's done with ESPN thus far, and then now seeing this opportunity, and then pairing him with his brother, which it's just going to be fucking comedy plus. You know, football intel is, is amazing. Now, I'm definitely going to be tuning in. It just sucks that it's only going to be for 10 games. Yeah. Um, but maybe it gets extended. Uh, or they, or maybe the Manning brothers just wanted some freedom and to kind of just not be kind of tied down for the entire yeah. season. No, and it, it makes sense. But, I mean, you also spoke about it being at, at a remote location, not – uh, at the stadium, I kind of pictured when I read that I kind of pictured it being kind of like a NBA on TNT almost. Uh, when you got Chuck and Shaq and those guys, um, um, kind of always. I mean, you know, those guys are hilarious. So it almost, I feel like it'll probably almost be like that, where they're in a separate location, except you know, whereas they don't commentate during the game, these guys will. You know what I mean? So yeah, and, and that's a perfect example. Like they break down film, they talk yeah. NBA, and it's great to see their perspective. Uh, of what's going on in the NBA, but again, they bring they bring the comedy, and that's what why everyone loves them because it almost seems like a family. Whereas this is really actually a family, so like yeah, yeah. it brings additional <laughs> drama to it because they're gonna. You already know they're gonna take shots at each other, and it's a lot of it's gonna be because of their childhood. So and we're gonna get to learn more about these individual guys just from this mega cast and i'm excited for it's another reason why i'm excited for the season uh to come and eli he's he's got his gig with the giants like he's now in like the the business side of things he's in marketing so now he's got a side gig with espn and he's got this job with with the giants and with him coming up with his fan fest he came up with fan fest and i'm not i'm going i told you to go yeah. you told me you let me know but yeah. Eli said he's gonna be there, so Ultimate. maybe come. 
Maybe we see him and we're like, yo, come come through balls deep, you know, interview. <laughs> yo, guys, the ultimate, <laughs> that guy's the ultimate bag chaser, yo. Uh, but nah, I mean, I definitely <laughs> wanted to go to the fan fest. Uh, I'm still gonna try to go. It's more so on, you know, scheduling work. Um, yeah, yeah. so I'm hoping I could go with, uh to that for sure. Uh, but yeah, nah, I'm I'm fucking excited for that ESPN uh broadcast. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely gonna be interesting. You know, I can't wait. Can't wait. I, I think the first one might be week one, so we'll see. Um, but to shift over to the last sport that we're going to be covering, I know this episode is running a little long, but we got we have a lot to say, and and that's and that's good. We you know we missed a week, so we kind of have time to make up. But with the NBA, before we get into the NBA finals, there's it seems like all the coaching vacancies have been filled. So I'm going to just run through the list. So we have Nate McMillan with the Hawks. He, he's moving from interim to that full-time role. And then we have, I might butcher his name, but Ime Adoka. He's the, now the head coach of the Celtics, coming over from the Nets. Jason Kidd with the Mavericks, coming over from the Lakers. Rick Carlisle, he's now the head coach of the Pacers. Jamal Mosley is now the head coach of the Magic. Chauncey Billups is now the head coach of the Trailblazers. Wes Unsell Jr. is now the head coach of the Wizards. And Willie Green is now the head coach of the Pelicans. So of these hires, like, did one of these surprise you more than others? And which one do you think might is probably the best pairing? Um, so just looking at it off the top, um, so I do want to say this. It's more funny than anything, I guess, or it might be funny. Uh, I didn't know Jason Kidd was black. I had no idea. Yeah, he is. He is. I had no idea. Um, and it's so random, but um, I saw a thing the other day about all the new coach hires, and they were talking about uh, they were noting the fact that a, a majority of majority of them, uh, almost all of them, were you know. Uh, african-american or you know black hires which, which is great but then I, I saw jason kidd's face there and i was like jason kidd like jason kidd's black and when i went to the comments everybody's like when since when is jason kidd black <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, that's just that was just funny to me i'm sorry but um i think uh he's, the he's one, the white skin brother yeah or, now, or white skin uh, depending funny. on who who you talking to? Yeah, apparently, apparently his dad is African American and his mother is Irish Irish American, so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, but with that being said, um, not necessarily surprised about any of these, but I'm kind of excited for the Chauncey Billups hire. Um, this is really the first um, worst. For, this is the first opportunity we're getting to see him in a you know a head coaching role like this uh, for a, a good team. You know, a Trailblazers team, like a, a solid team, they, you know, they get to the playoffs every year. Obviously, they haven't been capable of making a deep run. Uh, but I'm really just more so curious to see how he's able to do in his first stint as a head coach because, um, I mean, we've seen plenty of players kind of transition from head coaches. Like, I mean, Jason Kidd, who I just spoke about, um, who's on this list, he's already had coaching opportunities. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't this isn't brand new to him, but Chauncey Billups. I'm just curious to see how it plays out for him, uh, because he's one of those players that um, 
I mean, not that Chauncey Billups was a scrub, because by no means Chauncey Billups was a scrub, but it almost seems like um, it's those players that it's it's never really the star players that come out and 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 coach a team to a title. Like you know what I mean? It's always those yeah. dudes who used to be players who are on the bench that somehow come out and they just know everything about the game. And it's like, and I'm not saying Chauncey Bills I got because Chauncey Bills is talented, but I'm just curious because he's almost in that middle of the road where he wasn't an amazing player, but he wasn't a scrub. So I'm just curious to see how his basketball IQ transitions over to being a coach, how he's able to lead a team with, you know, especially an alpha like, you know, Dame, Dame, Damian Lillard. Who, I, I see, I mean, I see similar play styles. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't even know he's he's going to be there still or not. We don't know that. But in the sense that, like, you know, Dame's a, a dog. He's a great player. Like, it's usually harder for a young guy like Chauncey Billups to come in and coach a young squad or a young player like a Damian Lillard because it's like, what are you going to bring to me? What are you going to bring to the table? What can you offer me that? you know, is going to help me better myself, is going to help better this team that we're not already doing. Especially when you're a young guy like that. I feel like when you're young, when you're a younger coach, like Chauncey Blips is so early in his coaching, you know, career, it's like, what do you, what do you have to offer? You know what I mean? It's usually the younger guys that are coaches that have more to prove. And so I'm just excited to see how Chauncey Billups really can uh, coach that Trailblazers team, even, even more so if Dame ends up leaving. You know what I mean? Just seeing how he kind of yeah. handles that. So I'm excited for that one because he's um, kind of in a limbo there. So it it's funny that you mentioned Chauncey Billups because Chauncey, I see a lot of similarities in his game and Damian Lillard's game. Like they live for the big shot. Obviously, Chauncey Billups' nickname was Mr. Big Shot. Um, I, I'd like to, I'm interested to see how that pans out as well. But what's interesting on why you bring it up is because the the coaching hire that I'm ex- I think most excited to see is the Jason Kidd hire with the Mavericks because he also has a similar play style to Luca. Yep. They like Rick Carlisle even said like he was hoping that Jason Kidd got the job when he left because he sees a lot of similarities in Luca as he did in Jason Kidd when he coached him. Um, but also what makes it interesting is because those two hires had the most controversy. When, when they were hired, a lot of it stemmed from their their past uh, in terms of like that, like past allegations, whether it be uh, like off the court. So a lot of that had to do with it. I think the Trailblazers didn't help Chauncey because in his in his um, press conference, they kind of tried to avoid all the questions. Someone asked a question and they basically like said next question and didn't even allow Chauncey to, to speak on it. Although Chauncey's already came out publicly and spoke on the situation, uh, but it just does it gives it does it leaves the fans and and all that like it gives them a bad taste in their mouth. Pause. But it just doesn't seem right. And but it's just interesting that the two jobs or two hires that had the most controversy are the ones that were most interesting. In. And and I'll explain. So so Jason Kidd in his past stints with the Nets and the Bucks. He's done a good job in terms of um, building relationships with his players and developing players, but he hasn't done so well with the X's and the O's, like his play his plays. So I'm interested to see if he learned from those past stints 
and also with his stints as an assistant with the Lakers, um, if he learned then what he didn't know prior with his other two uh, gigs. So I'm interested in that. And there's talks where he's talking about bringing over a really like a, a amazing offensive minded assistant coach and Igor Koskov. And he was the former head coach of the Suns when Luka was drafted, right? And but the reason why this is interesting is because I've been on record saying that not that DeAndre Ian is a bad player, and yeah, they needed a center, but they were also looking for a point guard at the time. And Igor, he's coached Luka overseas, and they won championships overseas. Like he knows, he's familiar with him. He knows his play style, and I w- was saying, like, if anyone knows the capabilities of Luca, it would have been him because he's coached them. And I think he was pounding the table for him, and they ultimately went with DeAndre, and that kind of was the start of the relationship dying down because I think he ended up getting fired, like, midseason that season. But, like, to bring him as an assistant under Jason Kidd – to help him with the X's and O's in terms of offense and building the offense around uh, Luca, because I think Luca is going to listen to Kid just because of the similarities and his respect as a former player. But to get Igor there to help him with the X's and O's, one and two, to have another coach that he's familiar with, I think that will definitely help them as in terms of performance on the court. But also, I think Jason Kidd is going to open up the opportunities to recruit. I think he's going to be a better recruiter. I think Rick Carlisle was um, in Dallas. I think a lot more players are going to be willing to go to Dallas because they want to play for Jason Kidd. And now that you have Jason Kidd there, Luca's there. Like people want to play with Luca, except Porzingis, because you know Porzingis. A lot of people say he's jealous of him, or like and things of that nature. But just I feel like if they do get Igor to be an assistant, I think that's a perfect opportunity for success for Luca but also a sign of improvement from the Mavericks and stuff yeah. as an organization. And and and, and that's crazy because that's not something that I knew uh, was a possibility. I didn't know that was something that the Mavs were inquiring about happening. Uh, but that's yeah. that's really huge because, uh, like you said, a guy like Jason Kidd who probably has a lot more capabilities in terms of recruiting players because people definitely want to play for Jason Kidd. Like Jason Kidd is one of the best point guards ever, like an amazing player, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Like we all know that. Um, but having a guy that's so close to Luca, I mean, winning winning a championship with a guy like they, the relationship has to be really solid. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, so uh, having mm-hmm. a guy with such a good close relationship with Luca from the jump start like that, uh, who also can help Jason Kidd uh, with the X and O's, like you said, I mean, that's that's amazing. That sounds great, and I love. I mean, honestly, I, that's not something that I was aware of, and but it's something that I hope to see happen now at this point. Yeah, and then the one that I'm surprised about the most, I'm not saying that it's a bad hire, but the one that I didn't see coming was Willie Green going to the Pelicans. And it's not a done deal yet. I think they're they're in talks, but it's it's pretty close. Like yeah. when, I think once the Suns or when the season's over, the it'll become official. Um, but I think that's the one that's interesting the most because I didn't really see him as a coaching hire, a head coaching hire. I'm not saying. But a lot of people are have, like Doc Rivers have came out and you know said that they they think he's capable of doing well over there. But I think that was probably his only interview 
like the only team that he's interviewed with, and he is doing well. But a lot of Suns players have came out and said that he's been well. He's like he's been a really good coach, and obviously their their championship push with going to the finals. So I'm interested to see what he does over there, especially with a young squad that has uh, Zion. Currently, they have Lonzo. I don't know, but it doesn't look like he's going to return. But they have Brandon Ingram. So just having a young squad with a young coach like Willie Green, who's a former player, I'm interested to see how that works out uh, because we already know how Nate McMillan's gonna what he's gonna do with the Hawks. Like it's gonna carry over to next season. Ime, I'm excited to see what what he does over there too because he's he has a relationship with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum from his team from coaching Team USA, but also he's a different kind of the way the way they make, they're making it seem he's a different kind of coach than Brad Stevens was. He's more hard news. So we're, I'm interested to see how that pans out. Don't know much about West Unsell Jr., but that came for a loop because I figured the Wizards, they might might have went for like a Sam Cassell, uh, Sam Cassell uh, who's been a, an assistant for a long time, former player, well-respected, uh, especially with Beal and Westbrook on like there for now. Um, Emre Carlisle, I mean, it came to a surprise that he signed with the Pacers instead of waiting because I figured the Bucks opportunity might arise after the playoffs. But I still think it was a, it's a good hire. And and I did say the only way I felt like Ruben Hoser was going to keep his job is if they won the NBA Finals. It's looking like and it. It's looking like they might they might win it. So that's this is my transition. Like, it's We're, looking like they might right now. Yep, this is my transition to the NBA Finals and our last <laughs> topic of the day. Um, so. It's it's the series is three two right as as of our recording is three two yeah the game is tonight um, so you guys won't see this until tomorrow well yeah and they might have won already they might have they might not who knows yeah who knows <laughs> it, it might be it might be over or it might be going to game seven but my like the Suns seem to be crumbling under pressure they blew the last two games mm-hmm. that they should have they should have won. A lot of it seems to be argue. put on Chris Paul. Yeah, one can argue, but I think they should have definitely won Game Four because they were they had like a, a they had a big lead in Game Four and they kind of blew it. A lot of the, a lot of the blame seems to be going on Chris Paul, as it should, um, because he's turned within this series he's turned the ball over more than he did throughout the whole playoff uh, push, and everyone seemed to think that he you know. Got past the the, the choking phase because he they could he couldn't get to the NBA Finals and then, and there was no three one lead to blow but now he's in the finals he had a good game one and since then it's went to shit and they were up two zero and now it's three two they lost three in a row so my question to you is like are are well well we know the Suns are coming under pressure but will they come out and win? Game Game Six, and if the Bucks win the NBA Finals, is it good for the NBA? So I will say this: I think it's over after tonight. <laughs> I think it's over after tonight. I think the Bucks will win it. They clinch the title at home. Um, and storybook ending. Yeah, no, nah, I mean. It's hard. It's hard to see any. It's hard to kind of picture anything else at this moment. Uh, just the way that the Bucks. I mean, we said we were both saying it coming into the finals. Like the Suns look like the best team. 
uh, throughout this whole playoffs. They look the most complete. They look the healthiest. Um, and they're just kind of cracking under pressure finally. And, I mean, it's not even necessarily everybody. I mean, they haven't all really played horribly. Um, and it really kind of does fall on Chris Paul because, I mean, Devin Booker's played well. DeAndre Ains played well. Um, you can say that maybe Cameron Payne's game um, – hasn't been at the level in the finals that it wasn't the conference finals that it wasn't yep. you know it hasn't been at that same level um so i will put a little blame on him as well um so there's a few guys but the big one is chris paul he's the leader of that team um he's the one that brought all that confidence to, the, to those guys he's the one that you know gave these guys you know not the ability they always had the ability he gave them the, the you know mm-hmm. the confidence in themselves he he Gave them, you know, the IQ, a different way to look at the game. Like, but now in this moment when they really need that leader, he's kind of, you know, what I mean, he's like the avatar. They needed him most, and he vanished. Like, <laughs> I mean, he just, <laughs> he just, he, he, where is he? Like, and that's the issue that everybody's always had with Chris Paul. That's, you know, the reason that he's. It's taken him this long to get to a finals. He's been cracking under pressure for years and years. Obviously, his best chance, everybody knows his best chance. Again, a title was that year with Houston. He ended up getting hurt. Like, I get that. Um, but now that he's here, again, like, he's cracking under pressure. And it's hard for me to see any other outcome than the Bucks clinching at home because and it's not even just about the Suns right now. The Bucks are clicking on all cylinders. Like, everybody who's talking about, um, you know, I mean, we mentioned it, you know, a few episodes ago. I'm pretty sure the last time we talked about the NBA, we mentioned it. I mentioned how Harv, who we had on our NBA special before the season. Harvey, shout out to Harvey. Go stream his music. Um, he said, you know, the Bucks are going to go only as far as Chris Middleton and take them. And I don't think that necessarily means that he's the best player on the team because he's not. But he's the closer. when he's on... They're on because Giannis is Giannis is guaranteed. Like he's on. Like he's not off. I don't. I don't feel like I can't remember a game this, you know, playoffs that he wasn't on. Um, and so that's why it always does come down to Chris Middleton because like now that Giannis is always doing his job, we need you to do yours. Um, and now not only is he hitting, while Giannis is hitting, but Drew Holiday's also hitting. Um, and that's become very dangerous and when he's not hitting offensively he's still able to contribute 100 percent defensively and i mean it's not even just three those three i mean Connaughton three after three like it's really tough to beat a team that's just clicking on all cylinders and not only are clicking on all cylinders they have the perfect mindset and it's not even just necessarily like you know everybody kind of and i'm not you know Everybody, as of late especially, it's like, job's not finished, job's not finished, job's not finished. Everybody's kind of, like, adopting that Kobe's saying job's not finished. But with the Bucks, it's not even necessarily, like, job's not finished. It's like, with the Bucks, it's more so, like, living in the moment. Like, they understand the job's not finished, but they also understand, like, you know, they understand their ability to celebrate, but not allow themselves. Like, Giannis said it perfectly. Yeah. We're not getting too high. We're not getting too low. Like, we're able to celebrate but still realize we're not done. And I feel like that's the perfect mindset in the sense that, like, it's not even just jobs not finished. Like, the sense that, like, they can taste it is, like, making them hungrier for it. 
And, like, it's just crazy to see, like, what Giannis has kind of come into as a player, um, not even just as a, in his scale-wise. Obviously, like, everybody was talking shit about him, saying he needs a better bag and this he and does. that. But he does. Yeah. I'm not – you're not wrong. But, like, just the mindset alone is, like, he's still, carrying – He's still dominant. No, a dominant. And the mindset alone is carrying him. Because I'm not saying that he just automatically – you know, has a bag this series, but his game has been elevated in this series alone. He's way better in this series than he was even just last series. Like, he's taking more perimeter, more per- shots from outside the perimeter. Like, not three-pointers, but I saw him take a mid-range J the other day. Like he just pulled it, splashed it. He's taking fucking turnaround faders, like, splashing them. I'm just yeah. like... And he's not phased at the fact that he's airballing free throws. No. At, at, at the fact that, um, like, the fans are count like doing a countdown on how long he takes to shoot a free throw. Nope. And the funny thing is, Chris Paul even said it. Like, they, the Suns need to do better in terms of re- like re- like defensive rebounds, but especially when Giannis is shooting a free throw. Giannis gets to the line so often and so frequently. He even said it is like everyone in the arena is expecting him to miss, even himself. Yeah. So, so sure. that's why that's why the Bucks are so ready to get them re, the re, like the rebounds, especially off the free throws. So when, it almost seems like Giannis going to the free throw line. If he hits two, it's a surprise. But you're expecting him to at least hit one. Yeah. It's either one or none. But if he hits two, that's amazing. Hey, but, I mean, last game and last, he's not faced on it. Not at all. And last game, um, when I was watching last game. There was two times where he missed a free throw and got his own rebound. That's four points. And it was, I think, the, that's, at the that's, end, that's an opportunity it, for more than four. It was at the end of the game, too, when the Suns really needed the rebound from him shooting the free throw. He missed the second free throw, and they tipped it up, and it got it came back to him, and he smacked it back. Yeah, and I think that was uh, one of them. Drew Holiday ended up getting it, and basically that was that was it. That was game over. So the fact that mentally he seems focused, I think that's good. I mean, there was a time he was talking to the press. I forget his words exactly, so I'm going to paraphrase here. But they were asking him, I think, about his 40-point game or his block or whatever, and if he had the opportunity to watch it, he said no. Like, I'm watching the next the next game. He was talking – he had a long story where he said, basically, he doesn't go into – he doesn't look in the past. He doesn't look in the future. He just lives in the moment. Uh because and that shows like his humility. Like if you if you go into oh, the game, if you if you go into the game, expe- having expecting to get forty points, this this that, like, and you don't get it, you're setting yourself up for failure. Like, yeah. and and he said that's like your pride talking. And then and then if you're um you look in the past saying oh I just dropped forty, that's like he says that's your ego. He said that's your ego because he says in the past every time I I I would do that. I would I would have a shitty game to follow. So the reason why he lives in the moment is so that he doesn't think about that and he can continuously be be great and it's showing. And I I I loved Giannis as a player before, especially because he's fucking hilarious. Um, but I, I think people are getting to know him more now and more in depth, and he's showing why he's great, like why he's one of the greats. Now, I'm not saying all time, but he eventually he will go down all time as a great. Yeah. But he's one of the greats, one of the elites in the league right now. And although he doesn't have the bag that he should, he should still go get him himself a bag because he could be even greater. Like, this is his moment. And yeah. before Kobe yeah. passed, 
his he he gave him basically a goal to be MVP. He became MVP, and he goes, "Okay, I got that. What's next?" And he told him a championship. This is his time. Yeah, this no, is it, his time to is. shine and win that championship. And I said this to somebody the other day because uh, I was having a conversation with our friend Ed, and he was saying how badly he wants Devin Booker to win one. You know, be legendary. And I get as, that. As well. And I, I'd love to see Devin Booker win one. Um, he's he's Booker, played Devin, like he deserves one. Everybody wants Chris Paul to win one. And, like, I get it. But, you know, Devin Booker has more time. Chris Paul doesn't have more time, as much time. But for me, uh, no, this is it. That's, that's what I'm saying. For me, like, not that I necessarily don't care, but I, I genuinely, it doesn't bother me whether Chris Paul wins it or not. I'd rather see the Suns win it because I want to see Devin Booker win it. But regardless, you know, Devin Booker is already legendary, period. Like, you don't have to win this title to have proved that you did what Kobe said to do. Be legendary. He already proved it. Like, at this point, he's gotten there. Winning a title has nothing to do with being legendary. He's already accomplished that. A title would be amazing, 100%. But Giannis, and not even just oh, because Kobe said, like, Giannis, just for me, like, I thought the Suns were going to win this, but I want the Bucks to win. I've wanted the Bucks to win. Um, just solely off the fact that, like, the resume that Giannis already carries after, what, eight years, and this is his eighth year in the league, this is eighth year in the league. Guys got two MVPs, and they were back-to-back. He got a defensive player of the year. He's a five-time All-Star with the All-Star game MVP this year where he also went perfect in the game. <laughs> He's NBA's most improved player in 2017. He has five All-NBA selections, three of those being first team, two of those being second team. Four all defensive selections, three of those being first team, one of those being second team, all rookie second team. Like to add a finals, more than likely a finals MVP to that. Like, so, so my question to you if he wins, is he would is he considered top 20 all time if he were to retire after winning the championship? Hypothetically, hypothetically, no. So, I will say this. Hypothetically speaking, if he retired after winning this title right now, he is not top top twenty. Oof, that's tough. Probably, he's probably top twenty. Maybe that's tough. That's why they say top ten. Top ten is top ten. <laughs> top twenty, maybe. Hypothetically speaking, if he retired after this year, if he won it, maybe. But I will say this: is that resume? Def- hypothetically speaking, if he retired after this year, he's definitely a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Because he's already got the resume. He's he's already got all the accolades. He's got over 10,000 points. I'm pretty sure he's over 5,000 rebound, uh, rebounds already. He's got over 3,000 assists. I'm pretty sure he has an insane amount of blocks. I forgot what it was. I just looked at it uh, a few days ago. Like, he has an insane amount of blocks. Like, he's already got the numbers for a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he has the accolades to go with it. Like, if he retired after this year, if he won a title, he's already first ballot Hall of Famer. And that's why I want to see him win it so bad. And because and, and, because of that resume, because of who he is, because of how he carries himself. Like, yeah. And he said it. I don't know if you watched the NBA, uh, their conferences with the, their uh, their media days with uh, the Suns and the, and the Bucks. It was just yesterday. Yesterday morning, they had their media day. And um, and one of the reporters asked Giannis a question, some 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 question in the form of like wanting to be like the most liked player 
or something like that. Like how he, it was some form of question that had to do with being a like player. And he said, I don't care about being the most like guy. He's like, I don't care about being anybody's favorite player. I don't care about being the most like guy. I don't care about, like, he's like, I could be the least like guy in the entire NBA. He's like, as yeah. long as I'm doing what I need to do every day to help my team win. And that's exactly what you want from the star player. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm on, I think I'm on board with you, bro. Like I wanted this, I said the Suns and six, I thought the Suns were going to do it. I, I really do. Like there's part of me that's, that has hope that the Suns will win game six and push it to game seven, just because I, I would like for this series to go to seven oh, I'd games. I'd love to see a seven game um, series. But it almost seems like this, the Bucks are getting better with each game and the Suns are getting worse with each game. Like, there's like De- Devin Booker's been that consistent for the, the Suns. Aiden's been there too. Um, but it's the inconsistency of Chris Paul. You don't know which Chris Paul you're going to get. It's almost like what people think of when they think of Chris Middleton. They, they said you're either going to get Chris Bryant or Chris Jordan or you're going to end up getting Chris Kuzma. <laughs> you don't know which Chris Middleton you're going to get on any given night. You might get prime MJ. You might get Kyle Kuzma. You don't know. Um, right now, as as of late, he's been playing like prime MJ, which is why they've been winning. But who's to say, you know, his Kyle Kuzma side don't come out in game six and, and they lose. But it's almost, that's what I'm saying. It's like that, what we think of Chris Middleton is what's going on with Chris Paul. There might be more to it with Chris Paul. He might be hurt. We don't know. But yeah. he, we don't know what Chris Paul we're getting. We don't know if he's going to be the Chris Paul we've seen coming into the NBA Finals or Game 1 or what we've see, been seeing in the past couple of games. But in reality, I, even if he's injured or not, I just think the Bucks figured out a way to, to, stop, to stop the Suns. And that's not – like they know Booker's been their best player, but he can't beat you by himself. And 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 stopping Chris Paul is means you're stopping almost the rest of the team because he's the facilitator. He's what's getting everyone yeah. else involved, and it, it and that's why I'm I think they they just found the solution to winning the NBA Finals. And yeah. I, I as much as I want this game to go to seven games, I'm kind of with you on the Bucks having the storybook ending and finishing it in six. And I, I think it would be perfect for the Bucks and Giannis is Giannis's legacy in itself, but I think it's perfect for the NBA because it, it the Bucks are a small market team. Giannis is one of the best players in the league. Um, he had he could have had the opportunity to kind of force his way out and go to a bigger market, um, or even kind of force the Bucks' hand to get a super team. He forced them to make moves, but he didn't tell them I want a super team, and he ultimately won with the squad that he pretty much had. They just went out yeah. and traded literally the entire future for Drew Holiday. And Drew Holiday is a, an amazing player, but he's not a, a top 20 player in the league. And he, and like people were questioning like all, even us, I think we said, we said on the podcast, like he's, a, it was a great acquisition, but it was a bad move to trade all of those assets for Drew Holiday, especially when they didn't get um, Bogdanovich. I think right now Bogdanovich is kind of shooting. Like, oh, yeah. I'm mad shoot, if I'm him. He's shooting himself. He pretty much shot himself in the foot because he could have been in the NBA Finals. Um, and the funny thing is he played them in the Eastern Conference Finals. But but he, 
but he's pretty much shooting himself like, damn, I could have got myself a championship. I could have played a big role. And I think it, it would have been an easier road to the finals if they had Bogdanovich. Yeah. But the fact that they didn't, I think it's great for the NBA because now it it's going to it, sh- it should help the smaller market teams moving forward. Uh, and also almost say like you don't need a super team to win. And and people are talking about the 2020 Lakers being a super team. That wasn't a super team. AD and LeBron were just so dominant on the road to the finals that it made it seem like a super team. But you need two stars, you can say. You need two stars. And the reason why I say that, Chris Middleton, he's, he might not be a superstar. But he's a star. He's a star. But he, right as of right now, he's playing like a super. Oh, he's yeah. playing out of his mind. He's playing like a superstar. And that's what's kind of allowed the Bucks to make that jump, that make that leap to where they needed to be. So he's a star. But the fact that he's playing like a superstar is contributing to the Bucks' success because he's essentially their closer. And the big reason why a lot of the NBA players are chiming in, like CJ McCollum was basically saying, like, if the Bucks win, how many uh, finals MVP votes does Chris Middleton have? He then followed it up because Gobert said that people are trying to discredit Giannis and stuff like that. He said, he even said, like, he followed it up and said, Giannis is finals MVP. Like, he's not doubting that. But Chris is playing so well, he's just – you know, curious on how much finals MVP, uh, finals MVP votes would he will like would he get? So it's to that standard. It's like yeah. he's he's playing really no, well has. to the point where like you could you could say like he could arguably depending on who you talk to be finals MVP. I don't think so. I think there's no question it's Giannis, but there's a conversation to be had for Chris Middleton. No, I mean there's definitely a conversation. It's not like he's playing like a scrub, and and regardless yeah. of of whether or not it's obvious, you still have to have the conversation. Because, dude, if it wasn't for the way Giannis is playing, Chris Middleton would have a legit case for the Finals MVP. So there's definitely a conversation to be had, although I think it's a very quick one. Um, But to speak a little bit on Drew Holiday, I saw somebody say that... um, I saw somebody say that he's already worth everything they gave up. He was solely based off the steal he made in Game Five. He was already worth everything they gave up for him. Yeah, I the agree steal with in that. the alley. That was yeah, perfect. Yeah, one hundred percent. And also, um, I just think the fact that, like, um, to speak a little bit about the Finals MVP thing, I definitely think there's a conversation to be had. And like I said, it's a quick one. I think really the big difference between the two isn't even necessarily how well they're playing because I think they're both playing at a high level. Uh, an amazingly high level, although I do think Giannis is just a step above. I think what really separates him, though, is the leadership and the mentality of that team currently is coming from Giannis. And so that's what I think the biggest difference is in that MVP conversation is without the mentality that Giannis has kind of garnered over all these losses in the fi- in the, in the playoffs the past few years, uh, without that, this team isn't as good as they look right now. Um, because I mean, sure. if you haven't talked, if you haven't watched our Dex Lawson, you know, interview yet, we spoke a lot about confidence in the episode, and that's something that Giannis is is really, uh, you know, instilling in this team. Not that you know players don't have it, but um, it's it's on a whole nother level right now. So, and I think that's a perfect transition to wrap this up because we we have exceeded the time <laughs> limit. Um, so. I, I think it's just because we just were so invested in the conversation. So I, I, I think it's to the fans' benefit if they're willing to stay this long. So if you stay this long, shout out to you. We love you guys. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. And if we have anything to continue to talk about in further episodes, we'll touch on it. Uh, but enjoy game six. We don't know the result yet as of this recording, but if there's a game seven, Giovanna and I will touch on it. Uh, if there's not, then we'll, we might touch on, you know, the NBA champions, uh, Milwaukee Bucks. But we'll oh, see. Before we go, we I do want to say everybody, including me, said that when Giannis resigned with the Bucks, that he didn't want to win a championship. I including me, I said that. I said he don't want to win. Why would he? Why would he do that? And he's doing it. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, he's proving everybody. He's well. He's not. I want to say like I'm gonna put it in the words of Dex, Dexter Lawson Jr. Like what he says, the type of player he is. He doesn't want to prove everyone wrong. He just wants to prove Proof. himself right. A thousand percent. He, he 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 has positive. He has a positive mindset, and I think that's exactly what Giannis has. And, and with that being said, go check out our interview with Dexter Lawson <laughs> Jr. Uh, it was a phenomenal interview. Yeah. It was an honor. It was a pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, go get to star, know him. Man. Yeah, go get is. to know him as a person. Go follow him on his journey. And also, if you haven't tuned into our first interview with his teammate Tyson James, go do yeah. so as well. They're both they're both gonna be studs. Yeah. Um, they both have, you know. A great feature. Not even just on the field. They both their yeah. mindsets are amazing. Exactly. They they, they have they have dudes. they have the, the right mindset. The, the they have the talent to go with it. They have, you know, great things ahead of them. And just go follow them along their journey. Go show love to them on social media. Everything. So, with that being said, go check that out. Uh, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe if you love what you're watching or listening to. We just appreciate you guys for tuning in. Uh, and then until next time, peace. You're talking about balls deep. I'm talking about balls deep. We're talking about balls deep in love. I'm talking about balls deep. My boy's talking about balls deep. We're talking about balls deep in love.